Chris, what does it mean to be awkward? <laughs> I think it means to look in the direction of a mighty bird. So, I'm sorry about that joke. That's okay. <laughs> so, as kind of follow-out from some of the other megaphonic podcasts that have come out recently, I wanted to talk about awkwardness. So, like, on the last episode of our friendly podcast, The Opposite of Lonely, Nadia and her guests are talking all about social awkwardness for the entire episode. And at one point, Nadia describes socially awkward situations as comedy gold. As soon as you're not in it anymore, it's going to seem funny. But, but, on the other hand, in the latest episode of your fine podcast, and thereby hangs a tale, you talk about, among other things, moments where searching for comedy gold led to really painful social awkwardness. Yes. Uh, and I'm wondering if, when you're performing, do awkward moments on stage help the comedy? It depends. It depends on whether or not the performer gets spooked. So if it, like anything can happen, regardless of how big or how small, and if it doesn't kind of fluster the comedian, then it's fine. Uh, so you can have like the loudest, most obnoxious heckler and put them down and then go back to your set and it's fine. Um, I remember, I remember I was trying to do a set at Yuck Yucks uh, and there was this fella who was just talking <laughs> and he was talking before the show. And I thought, well, that's fine. Like they're just making the announcements. The show hasn't started. And I was emceeing and I had to go out and I was doing my set and I was like, well, you know what? No one likes, no one likes it when the big mean comedian says, hey, shut up at the beginning of a set. I'll let this guy clue in. That was my first mistake. <laughs> and I, I'm talking and the audience is, is with me. The set is going well and it's a packed house. But there's this one table where this guy is talking <laughs> more loudly than I'm talking right now. Just this this alarming lack of any kind of sense of propriety, uh, any kind of politeness. And I, I, I just turned to him at one point. And again, it's like, I'm going to phrase this nicely because I have seen comics go really hard on anyone interrupting the show. And the audience has turned because it was too mean. Um, I think every comedian has seen that. <laughs> And uh, I, I just turned to him and I said, can I help you? <laughs> Am I bothering you? <laughs> and he was furious. He um, like launched on like he, he immediately started making pot shots about my weight. Right. As if waiting for it. And I, I told him, it's like, well, I may look like <laughs> sorry. I said, I may I may look fat, but you look like a man who could not get his GED because he was in jail for a drunk and disorderly that he got at a comedy show. <laughs> and not only did that shut him up, but it got the audience on my side. 
because <laughs> probably because I responded very meanly to an extremely mean comment that I was going to stand up for myself. And later at that very same show, I got a different kind of awkwardness because that man came to me in tears going like, I didn't mean to say nothing. I just didn't want to be on the side. And he just, he's just uh, babbling like a lunatic in tears. Cause that's what people do. Like they think they're being so brave. To say a thing, ooh, I said a thing when a comedian was on stage, thinking that they're going to stump you when you're a person who, like, constructs words and jokes all the time. So zeroing in on a put-down, and also someone who is aware of the audience, too, zeroing in on a put-down that's not going to lose them is not that difficult. <laughs> like, as much as I reference the uh, the kind of meltdowns or moments where an audience turns on the comedian for being too harsh or being or just completely flying off the handle. Uh, it doesn't happen that often. They're they're more likely to go with the comic for obvious reasons. And then they come to you afterwards and they're just in tears. Like they're so like, please. Like I, I once had a guy who tried heckling me at a show insist that I hug him. And I said, no. Get out of here. And he's like, please, I feel real bad for what I did. I said, good. You should feel bad forever. <laughs> You're not a good human being. Uh, and that's 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 generally what it is. Like hecklers, I, I, I hate to say it, but it's true. Hecklers are a cowardly and superstitious lot. And uh, they're just no good. But does that make for great comedy or a good moment? It's like, no, I released tension. There was tension and the audience felt the tension and they wanted the tension to go away because everyone hates awkwardness. That's my experience. I don't know if you've had similar uh, encounters with people that you've needed to quiet down while performing. Or is it more like the musician's code of like, I play on and whoever listens to me is listening and fuck the rest of them because you can do that. You can't do that with comedy. So this isn't an experience that happened to me when I was the musician. It was one that happened when I was at a show. Hmm. I was seeing a show of one of my favorite bands at the time, a small indie band, I guess. And they were playing a set. I was near the front because why wouldn't you be? And next to me at the stage were two people who were determined to keep talking and have a conversation through the show that they had paid good money to get into, <laughs> had worked their way to the front of, and then were just going to talk throughout the whole thing. And that was... <laughs> bad enough during most of the songs, which were sort of loud, rockish songs, but mm -hmm. the band was performing now a a quieter song, and a song that, you know, clearly was very meaningful to songwriter, etc. So they were playing this sort of slow, drony, slow burn kind of a song, and they would not shut up during the entire thing. The first one to really notice them was the drummer, who... Uh, was a fearsome man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he kept shooting them throughout much of the song. He was just glaring at them in this way, which is, which I certainly would have, I was responding to, even though it wasn't pointed at me. I was just like, I'm going to avoid the drummer. Should I run into him after the show? <laughs> even though I have done no wrong. This is, this is a serious man. This is a man who knows how to have a fight. <laughs> yeah. By the end of the song, they, which, because the glaring did not deter these two from their inane conversation. By the end of the song, 
the entire band was just vamping on the the chords, just going over again and again and again over the final chords, not letting them sort of drift off or end. Just (laughs) kept repeating it, all of them staring at this couple. (laughs) And they did it basically until the couple finally got the hint and left. Now, on the one hand, that kind of was a super awkward moment and ruined the intent of playing the song. On the other hand, it was an electrifying live performance, right? Yeah. Like they, while they didn't get the point of that song across, they certainly, they certainly did some interesting communication that, that I am not unhappy to have witnessed. <laughs> so, so I don't know. There was some, that, that was a potentially awkward moment that uh, they were able to transform into, into something else. They were able to run with it in an interesting way. Um, I wonder if you've had awkward moments other than heckling, like, I don't know, letting one rip <laughs> during the middle of a set. Uh, well, I mean, that's that's the great Unintentionally, thing. Unintentionally, not, not as a punchline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I've never uh, billed myself as the great fart butt, uh, <laughs> though I'm pretty sure Howard Stern had a character that was like that, basically. Um, but anyway... No, <laughs> no, I have not. I think that's the joy of, you know, performing in like, you know, a fairly loud environment because even the coziest uh, venue is there's still kind of enough white noise, whether it's whether you're playing at like the smallest bar in uh, a place where there are a lot of bars as, uh, you know, at least in the case of uh, Newfoundland, a lot of the a lot of the indie comedy shows are on George Street. And George Street is, of course, the heart of the alcoholics district right. in Newfoundland. So it gets very loud. And so it can even be loud if the doors are closed and you are inside because you're hearing something trail off from another bar or there's just the general buzz and energy and noise of the world outside as drunken people are going to get like deep fried pogo sticks at you know whatever hour it is and so there's already enough of a cover that you can fart away because it's it's not going to be picked up on mic unless you have it very close to your butt all right all right well fine have you ever uh tripped or had any other potentially awkward physical interactions? Uh, I once had to do a set where the the genius marketing department at, uh, at Yikex decided that a, a good way to get business, and again, not the worst idea in the world, but terribly executed as always, would be to have live musical acts on off days or even right after a show. And rather than have musicians set up their gear, why they could just leave their gear on the stage when comedians have to perform. Right. (laughs) And so I nearly tripped up over drums and a guitar and in one case a bassoon um, (laughs) on several occasions when they were trying this out as, as that was part of their – things like we're gonna broaden our scope like i had to like i remember actually it may have even been the bassoon night i had to read out a promo for the next thing that they were doing right after the comedy show it was like hey stick around and you'll get half price off their next event nude male dancers 
which I was saying to like uh, a crowd full of like middle-aged folks. And I'm like, I'm not saying that uh, you lose your taste for nude male dancers at around 50. I'm not saying that. Maybe it increases. I've never been 50. Uh, nor have I ever been a couple. I've only been one man my whole life. But I will say this. Uh, I don't think that if you've been at a show since 8 and it is now 10 – that you want to stick around till 12 to ogle the flesh show afterwards. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, time to turn off my brain and just see some sculpted cut bods right here in public, as opposed to, you know, just going at home and like looking at beefcakes on the internet. Did the announcement make it clear that it wasn't the comedians who are later going to be live and nude? I, uh, I I had told the audience that I had auditioned on multiple occasions and had not made it through. Oh, yeah, I had not, not made the cut, so to speak. I think I've already told you about on a previous episode uh, about the time that we were playing to- in front of a comedy audience and we tripped on the way to the stage and it broke the ice and made everything go far more smoothly. Mm-hmm. I-, I always felt like. One of the nice things about being about performing is that even if you're not performing comedy, is that you can really take those little awkward moments that can just happen because we are humans and and terrible, uh, and you can work with them and you can you can transform them into something more interesting than just being awkward. Like it's okay to be awkward on stage. You are on stage because you're trying to get a reaction. You're trying to make things happen, mm-hmm. and awkwardness is uh, an honest reaction. And on, a, and on a situation that people can have a reaction to. Yeah. Yeah, th- no, that's true. And it's good when it does break the tension. Um, I'll never forget there's a production. I forget which checkoff play this is, but it requires – I think it's the I think it's the bear, a.k.a. the boar, uh, where someone has to sit on a chair and it immediately breaks. But, but if the staging is just right, it looks like an accident. Right, right, right. And what's weird is that it, what's weird is that that can backfire if it looks too real. <laughs> I've noticed because the audience just feels so bad for the actor that they don't laugh. Like it has to look a little bit stylized, it has to look a little bit choreographed because everyone is thinking, "Oh, what a sin! He worked so hard on this and that chair." If only people gave more money to theater, they'd be able to afford better props instead of rickety chit. He could have hurt himself. He could have hurt himself on a splinter. Like, it totally ruined the show. I'm pretty sure it's only the Newfoundlanders who are thinking, oh, what a sin. But they're, they're thinking, oh, what a sin. And they're referring to the actor as a poor duck. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's actually a really interesting point about – the difference between honest, awkward moments or honest, potentially awkward moments and staged ones and how you have to – how you might have to toe that line very carefully. Well, how did you ever react to staged awkwardness or comedy of awkwardness? I'm sure you've seen it whether it's on theater, television or film. You've seen comedy that is about awkwardness and that tension or even just trying to get cringe out of people. And how has that made you feel as a viewer? Like, are you able to separate from it and go like, ah, yes, it is good that we are exploring this tension that we feel day to day. Or 
is it is it just a reminder of this uncomfortable thing you don't like and thus can't watch? I think of myself as somebody who doesn't like cringe comedy. Mm-hmm. Like the, those genres, uh, that genre of TV shows where that cringiness is the main focus of everything. Yeah. Rather than something where you might build up to a particularly awkward moment, but there's only one of them. <laughs> when you when you know, shows that seem to be living in a constant state of cringe or really are reveling through putting their characters through all that. Mm-hmm. That I think of as something that doesn't work for me. But I'm not sure that's true. I, I feel like I haven't actually sat down and thought about it enough. So, uh, well, how, first off, how, how do you feel about that that kind of comedy? Um, I tend to feel bad most of the time. Like when I was a kid, uh, what slowly – actually, it may have been rapidly. But what eventually kind of devolved into a cringe comedy was a show I really liked. Uh, it was a little show called Frasier, which now <laughs> <laughs> which now people are embracing ironically. <laughs> um, but Frasier at the time was a show that I really liked. And I really liked it when it focused on the relationships between you know, the title character and his coworkers, as well as his family and his somewhat strained relationship with his family, particularly his father. It was – I remember, at least in those early episodes, like kind of melancholic, which as a – I think it I think it was around like 11 when it premiered. I could be wrong. But that was really appealing to me. It's like, oh, this is like the spinoff of that feel-good show Cheers and you don't always feel good. Intriguing. <laughs> um, but eventually that show became about characters lying unnecessarily to – make headway with a guest star character and them eventually getting found out and humiliated. And it got so much like I kept tuning in because I liked those characters, but I would actually leave the room. It would get so tense that I would have to leave the room. Like I had the reaction uh, to an episode of Frasier that people sometimes have to horror films <laughs> because I was like, this is unbearable. I refuse. And I would walk out. So uh, I'm looking now at the Wikipedia page because this is a podcast for, for <laughs> no for cringe comedy. Oh, <laughs> uh, and they list a bunch of examples because I wanted to see a list of examples of cringe comedy to see whether there would be anything on that list that in fact I like. And they don't list Fraser. Surprise, oh. surprise. Which I think of as a huge cringe comedy. Well, uh, and also none of the shows they list are shows that I like, although they include several shows by comedians who i do like so for example they list peep show which is with david mitchell and um uh rubber webb and i have never i bounced so hard off peep show the way you described it uh fraser as as veering into horror show territory mm-hmm. i guess that's maybe not quite how i would describe it and maybe you won't think that the way i might describe it is at all similar but there's a sense in which it's just so forced it's just yeah. so fakey fake like this is you you're going through such an elaborate setup to make things be this cringy that it just seems incredibly contrived yeah like it's it i feel i i guess i feel about that show the way that most people feel about bad puns (laughs) (laughs) whereas puns can be enjoyed by all says i (laughs) exactly another another show that is by a comedian who i quite like but i did i never got into this show uh so 
and I and I would not have necessarily thought of it as cringe comedy, but maybe maybe it is. Eh, I think you've watched it, so you can tell me. Is the Larry Sanders Show? Oh, which is a show that I do adore. There's definitely hum- humanity in that show. And that's really what it's about. And it's about like people's pettiness and their failings. And oh, but I would never I would never call it a cringe show. There are cringy moments, but unlike say Frasier or Peep Show, I don't think that there is a farcical buildup to this, you know, moment of cathartic cringe. Like that never happened to or at least if it did happen, it didn't happen very often. So I don't I don't think of that as like a cringe show. I think of that as just I think people are just putting that there because it was a comedy without a laugh track about people who are really really flawed. Hmm. Maybe they also list Mr. Bean, which I don't think of as a cringe comedy thing no, at all. No, he has no physical comedy. It's 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 yeah exactly, and it's it's just it's pratfalls and and the like. Yeah. I mean, again, I've never really watched it. I've seen enough of it that I feel like I have a sense of what I'm talking about. But. <laughs> as as someone who was raised by Mr. Bean, I can also happily say that if you've seen one bean, if you've consumed one bean, not unlike actual beans, Chris, you've essentially consumed every bean. There's, they're not exploding with flavor and difference. That, that was certainly the sense I got from it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the closest thing it really comes to different it is as far as i know some variety to mr bean uh not counting the animated series which is non-canon um, <laughs> is that you know the thanksgiving special or or christmas special that's yeah, a christmas special of course um is like a full half hour and that's one of the few episodes to feature mr bean's equally weird girlfriend and uh so that that feels slightly different and has a certain christmas sentimentality to it uh in addition to jokes about having a turkey on your head uh there's that but for the most part it was just loose sketches and and again the only only time you see any kind of difference there is uh, that one where he meets the queen and for a brief moment it looks like his penis has fallen out of his pants uh but no, I don't think of that as as a as a cringe comedy. I think of that about a about a strange man who has an ongoing vendetta with a three wheeled car. <laughs> <sighs> Other cult comedy classics that uh, are on this list that I know I'm supposed to like, but don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, curb your enthusiasm. I can, yeah. The advantage there, and I guess the difference between, say, Frasier and most kind of cringe shows, is that you're not supposed to like Larry David. And I guess that makes it like a little bit easier. Like Larry David plays a prick. He plays himself, and that may be a prick, but the person on the show is a prick. And seeing him run off his mouth, it's like the expected thing. It's like, well, he's going to run his mouth off in this situation, and this is what's going to happen. And since the joke is usually on him, it's usually because he aired in a way that only his character would air, so it's believable in that sense. Uh, rather than, you know, him being the only sane man and it's the world that's too crazy. Uh, because that's the approach of Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, from the episodes I've seen of it. Uh, it's not so bad, but I also understand why people don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I I I just don't want to hang out with pricks. I don't recommend that show then. But I also would not recommend Seinfeld either, which I also hate. Although yeah. that's not on this list. <laughs> I, 
I feel like this is this is the episode in which I admit that there are all sorts of comedy canon shows that I can't stand. <laughs> I think that's true of all of us, including Arrested Development. <laughs> that's I think that is definitely cringe comedy. Yeah, yeah, uh, but again, it, like it does have the it does have the great out that like all the people that you're cringing at are bad. Uh, they're all criminals. <laughs> like, they're all bad people. Um, and usually the, the good or self-aware people, uh, in the original series and like the first three seasons would be inexplicably Jason Bateman, but also, uh, Aaliyah Shawkat, uh, who played the youngest Bluth. Um, they- I've only watched like the first couple episodes of the first season and I do not think the Jason Bateman character is at all a decent or good or i think the show tries to make him out to be though Um, i think he thinks he is but mm -hmm. well see i thought that got underlined with like the the newer season that they did for netflix which really amplified what a selfish ass he is uh in in a way that made it almost kind of unbearable but yeah i mean that 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 to me has always been the the big block weirdly enough it's not uh, not the characters being, uh, which I've I've heard a lot. Like people can't take the characters, uh, and it's more about that than any kind of cringe factor because they hate those characters. Uh, whereas I really loved how pathetic and mean and awful all the characters were, uh, particularly Job the magician. Um, I loved all those characters, and I hated. Uh, with the exception of Aaliyah Shawkat, I kind of hated uh, any kind of normalcy on the show, and particularly Jason Bateman as the smug, above-it-all everyman. Like, I could not stand him. And I just wanted to spend time with the funny, awful characters because it was like a more down-to-earth The Young Ones, <laughs> which was also about terrible characters in a show that I absolutely adore. So – you know, a, a, a kind of uh, – uh, so there was a show called Archer, which at least in its first couple of seasons, or maybe it's like seasons two to five, let's say, mm-hmm. was – was uh, I quite liked. And it had – it was filled with terrible characters, but it wasn't about – generally speaking, it wasn't about cringe comedy, right? It wasn't no. – they would get themselves – I mean, they would get themselves into awkward situations, but it wasn't – that wasn't where the humor was coming from. The humor was coming from the back and forth and from the way these – characters rubbed up against each other in interesting combinations and and you know it wasn't just about uh this situation is uh so so you know i feel like that is that is that is how i want to hang out with awful people yeah i i can i can see that i i guess because with those awful people like i still see that back and forth kind of happening because like these episodes of rest of development and it's been a while since i've seen like the original shows but I remember that they were constructed in such a way that essentially like every scene was sort of like densely layered with jokes and some would only become apparent like there there was a joke in the scene, but you'd only understand the joke if you made it to the end of the episode. And I understand that if you can't stand these characters, then making it through these episodes must be an ordeal. But I thought that was such a playful from a from a writing perspective, I thought that was so playful. And it has probably for my money the best performance that jessica walter ever gave <laughs> because she's essentially doing the exact same thing in archer she's playing yeah mother bluth it's i like it better as melody archer oh sure well i don't know how to end this one <laughs> that is awkward <laughs> 
You're Not Funny is brought to you by Megaphonic FM. Go to megaphonic.fm and check out all our fancy little podcasts, including our newest podcast, The Scene of the Scene, which has a simple premise that the best part of going to see a show is talking with your friends about it afterwards. So we record it immediately after seeing the show in order to catch that conversation fresh from the experience. Go check it out at megaphonic.fm slash scene, S-C-E-N-E. Megaphonic FM, catch it! Sorry, I had to say it. Sorry. Catch the wave. <laughs> oh, man. Are you thinking about Matt Frewer? Is that why that came up? I'm always thinking about Matt Frewer. I can see that, man. He's so underrated as, oh. as both an actor and as a man. That's actually a bit, been a kind of interesting awkwardness is because... Um, <laughs> you love Matt Frewer? No. Recording you called your podcast. husband Matt at one point? No. Well, that's a different story. <laughs> I dated a long string of mats for a while when I was when I was younger. Oh. And so to, when describing them to friends, I would call them Matt 1, Matt 2, Matt 3, Matt 4. <laughs> now a mat is knocking at your door. <laughs> <laughs> the awkwardness is that we've been recording the scene as a scene and doing it in public and it gets very it's very tricky to get yourself into a situation where you can launch into a podcast when you're in a space where other people are around you. I'm trying to get over my, my self-consciousness about doing that <sighs> or trying to make it work. Yeah, it, it sounds really <laughs> it sounds really tense to have to – like it would be one thing if like, oh, we're friends having a conversation after seeing something. But you also have to frame it a little bit like it's a show and be loud enough for the mic and everything. So it's it's a bit like you're definitely aware that it's a bit different than an animated conversation. So it might feel a little bit weird to be thinking or talking about it at all. Uh, it's that self-awareness getting in the way, as David Foster Wallace described, uh, while you're trying to have a conversation about media at Yogurties. Yeah, but even more than that, though, it is – Getting the microphones out while you're at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you if you actually I don't know if you have you done it at a bar yet? Have you done seen the scene at a bar yet? We did it at like a restauranty bar. Okay. Because I was about to say is like if you went to a pub and like microphones came out, I think even the staff would be like, Oh, the show's starting. Like <laughs> <laughs> you could get away with it. We got away with it at a sushi place. Hmm. Ah, so indeed, the theme this time around for the jokes is awkwardness, and I guess it's my turn to go first. All right. So I found a list of what was called the most awkward sexy words on the internet, and I just wanted to share it with you just to see whether you agreed, because I'm not sure about it. Stroke. I totally get it. You don't You don't want sexy times to make you think about blood clots and terrible diseases that you don't easily recover from. Yeah. Throb, which again <laughs> makes you think of pulmonary thrombosis. It's no good. Loins, which is an anagram of lions, that's also it's also no good. The lions are scary. They eat people in the bad way. Thrust which, okay, thrust is one of those sexy words that isn't really sexy, but it is kind of silly, and it makes me think of rockets, which are also silly metaphors for sex, so I'm sort of okay with that one. And mom. Ugh. Yeah, I think they might be on the money with that one. 
Well, it is my turn to tell a tale of awkwardness. And I can think of no situation more awkward than that of a, a job interview. So I have been looking for a job as of late and I have been looking for jobs in Toronto where I shall be moving. But uh, while on my job search, I uh, I applied for something th- as a bit of a goof, frankly. I thought it wasn't real. And that really got uh, uh, cemented when I got a phone call from said job, still not sure if their existence was real. Now, I don't want to name the actual job, just in the off chance that they're hiring me. But I don't think they are. Uh, It was a program, which is a broadcast on both the television and the webs, in which ladies uh, report on the news in the altogether. Uh, Now, I don't want to name it, so I'm just going to call it the nudes. That seems to be a good cover for it. Now, anyway. I had gotten a phone call. It's like, do you want to come in for an interview? And ordinarily you say, yes, sir. Thank you very much. But I said, are you guys still a thing? Is this for real? (laughs) Because I honestly didn't know. Turns out they were for real. And I'm getting prepared for my interview. And I've told a few select friends about it who, because this is such a seemingly salacious job, uh, unfortunately blabbed everybody about it. But I was, I was intrigued. And I thought, boy, the job is weird more than anything else. And I want a weird job. So that sounds pretty good. And I had asked some friends for advice just to put forth my best self. And uh, a friend of mine, who is now a former friend of mine, uh, gave me this advice. And this is why he is a former friend. He said, no matter how the job interview is going, utter the word Fidelio. And if the hiring manager is a mason, he will hire you regardless. That's dumb, and I don't want to hang out with Rudiger anymore because of it. And I went into the to the job interview, and it's tense, because they're always tense. And it's made all the more tense by the fact that, one, I had reviewed several new episodes of this program, which I had not seen since I was 12 years old. <laughs> uh and far more excited by the possibility of someone reading the weather with their tits out. But I went in, I had seen episodes of the show, and whilst in the offices, there were women that I had just seen nude walking about. And I have to be I have to quiet down the fact that it's like, hey, I recognize you from this show. Uh never mind. And I go in for the interview. It's finally the wait is up and things get off to an okay start. We're going over my writing credentials. That seems like a good fit. However, what the boss says, and like I said, I'm trying not to sweat bullets for a number of reasons. And what the what the hiring manager said with the guy in charge of the whole production of this nudes program had said was, well, you know what they say, caveat emptor, to which I leaned in and said, you're in for a skemptor, in a strange Bela Lugosi voice, in reference to the tagline from Goosebumps. Now, 
if you want to imagine how many laughs that got, think of a number between zero and zero and you're there. That didn't phase him too much, fortunately. And his only real complaint in regards to my resume is that all of my writing was, in his words, nerd shit. And I thought, what? And he's like, yes, you write for all of these, you know, film columns and things. I mean, what the hell? And I realized, oh, my God, this guy considers himself such a jock that the nerdiest thing he could imagine is going to the movies. (laughs) And he asks me, Adam, do you know anything about sports? And I could tell the truth. Or I could do what I did. And I said, sure. I saw the greatest game of my life not that long ago. And I recounted beat for beat the plot of Space Jam. In which Bugs Bunny and crew armed with some NBA stars of the mid-90s take on a rival basketball team of cartoon monsters. (laughs) Again, the hiring manager the man who owns this business is not impressed. And I thought, I have one last chance. I said Fidelio. And I don't think I'm getting that job. No, I don't think he's a fan of, of Beethoven's soul opera. <laughs> that, you know, if, if, my God, if movies are nerd shit, then I'm pretty sure classical music also qualifies. <laughs> Well, it's not a very good opera. I mean, it's just, (laughs) I don't know. I've never listened to it or seen it. I just heard that it's not very good. I see. Oh, boy. Uh, Well, those were both really tight jokes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I think think we both really honed our craft before presenting that to our four listeners. (laughs) They're they're in for the ride of a lifetime. (laughs) Oh, Well, it's ripped from the headlines. Most of that is true. The weirdest thing about the Nakey Newsy people, Mm -hmm. for I too have seen a bit of this show. Yeah. And they also have a gentleman's version as well. Is that still going? I heard that got canceled due to lack of interest. (laughs) I always thought the weirdest thing about it was how basically in no way do the hosts acknowledge that they are getting their bits out now. Yeah. Well, they just keep talking about Russia invading Ukraine or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's one of the reasons why I found it kind of impressive. Like or I I shouldn't even say kind of. It it was it was genuinely impressive that it's like, "Oh, they're doing entertainment reporting essentially." And and while they are covering, you know, genuine news stories, for the most part this is written from like a light and kind of comedic touch. Uh all of the anchors are able to do that without blinking, while also in in cases wearing high heels, right? Like that's the one thing they do keep on and reading it backwards, <laughs> and like that's that's a talent. Like that's that's difficult, and none of them like there's never an awkward moment with them. And in fact, while I was doing my, I, I hate to call it research, but it was I genuinely I was not in it for pervy purposes. I genuinely wanted to know what the job would entail. One of the things I saw was the anchors 
doing stand-up. That was a thing that they did for an episode. Huh. So they went down to Yuck Yucks and filmed a live show there. And essentially it would cut back and forth between the regular uh, nude news program and stand-up. And some of them, because they had such confidence in a natural kind of comic timing, whether it's their own personality or honing it for years on this show or both, but some of them were genuinely good and were able to do stand-up in front of what I assume was like a more carefully selected crowd, <laughs> given that how clothed women comics are treated. Uh, they – they 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 did it well. Like several of them handled it like really well. Where you could see it's like you know if they wanted to be if they wanted to give up their high paying naked positions and do clothed or unclothed stand up comedy. My God, they'd be very successful at making at doing this highly unprofitable thing. <sighs> but you were looking up uh, filth. <laughs> what brought you to filth, Chris? Or is that just naturally the most awkward thing? Well. You had gotten on the call to record the podcast, mm -hmm. and I needed a joke. <laughs> I think that's what drives all of the material on You're Not Funny, Chris. We needed jokes. So I was Googling around for inspiration, and I just looked up some awkward words. And then I saw a list of awkward, sexy words. Brought to you by fake internet Scrabble game, Words with Friends. <laughs> Slow day at the office there, I guess. Do people still play that? I think some of my Facebook friends do, but hmm. I haven't played it with anyone for ages. Um, Yeah, they had a list of the five most awkward, sexy words that weren't moist. Because everybody talks about moist. Yeah, I was about to say. People hate moist, but here's my counter-argument for that. Surely, there is nothing better... Uh, in the act of love than to be somewhat moist. I don't think that's what people have a problem with. It's just the sound of the word. Well, and also it's often used in food descriptions and things like that. And 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 yet it has an association with sexual moisture. Yeah. Which, you know, it's one of the better moistures out there. Let's just spend the next 10 minutes talking about the word moist, using the word moist, and let's see if we can get our listener count down to three. Yeah, this is the one episode of You're Not Funny that needs a content warning just for use of the word moist. Moist of the time, we managed to avoid such distasteful words. Well, I think it's because we created a nice family-friendly atmosphere. Uh, anyway, <laughs> next week, special guest Donnie Moist will be on the show with us. <laughs> Also, musical guest, Modest Moist. Ah, oh, sorry. This is the joke bit. The middle bit was the debrief. <laughs> no, I like this. This has become a belated sequel to our pun episode. <laughs> oh. Long awaited. 